2: And a warm welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and wherever you're listening from, it's great to have you with us. Now, if you're new to Book Off, a very warm welcome. And we hope you enjoy this series as well as all of our backlist episodes. And if you're a regular listener, well, we know we love you. And that you're someone with really, really great taste. I mean, impeccable. Right then on with our episode and today I'm joined in the studio by two fabulous musicians and writers. My first guest is a songwriter and musician who spent the last 15 years uniquely chronicling the inner workings of his and everyone's human condition over six critically acclaimed albums. These include It's a Pleasure, Happy Soup and most recently Night Chances which I have not stopped listening to since 2020. Here to tell us about his new autobiography, Ches It's Baxter Jury. Hello to you. How do you do? It's lovely to have you here. And my second guest is a musician, broadcaster and writer who formed Pulp, one of the most successful UK bands of the 90s, selling over 10 million albums worldwide. You can count them. He has also released five fabulous solo works. And between 2009 and 2017, he hosted the Sunday service on BBC Radio 6 Music, which is where we first met. Here to tell us about his first work of long-form prose, good pop, bad pop, it's Jarvis Cocker. Welcome to you hello there it's lovely to have you both here you know each other i don't think i need to do introductions you are
3: you are mates yes. how are you getting on i'm fine thank you <laughs> me and java <laughs> like the sort of modern day bloomsbury set oh yeah <laughs> meets the kardashians
2: just just peppered in there yeah. yeah i can tell um thank you both for being here and uh, it's it's going to be lovely to talk to you about your new books, about books in general, what you've been reading and enjoying. And, of course, we'll do the book off at the end as well. Um, Baxter, Cheslon is your new autobiography, as I said. It's it's brilliant. I just ate it up. It's insane, uh, in some places sad.
3: Um, when did you decide you wanted to write it? Um, well, I sort of had the idea. I I'm, I know a guy called Ted Kessler. He used to be the editor of Q Magazine. He's very smart, kind of. Serbic journalist, and he encouraged me to write down some stories, and I did that three or four years ago, and he sort of got me motivated. And then I thought this is very tough, but at the same time, I managed to wangle myself a book deal. But I still thought, well, that's some money, and it looks pretty cool. That sounds quite cool if you've got a book deal, especially if you're residing, you know, if you're telling people on the Portobello Road. Um, but I really, in the back of my mind, had no intention. I was fraudulently signed a book deal basically and then the <laughs> pandemic happened. And uh, I think I was my son was doing his A levels and I just sort of hitched onto his schedule and as a way of sort of a sanity rope. <laughs> so I wrote it just to keep myself sane. And um that's the only reason I wrote it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> For sanity. Yeah. I think it's a very good reason. But you am I right in thinking you moved back into your childhood home? When you were writing it, or around the time you were writing
3: it, yeah, it's quite cannibalistic, yeah. culturally cannibalistic. <laughs> I did, I was there prior to rewriting it, but I did end up in the space that it's all written about, and there's a sort of bleak cycle of existence at one point when you're there living with your son in a similar set of, well, not a similar set of circumstances because we have changed and the, and the attitudes have changed, mm. thankfully. Um, but it, it was a bit hard to revisit, but maybe it assisted being in the theatre of my dysfunctional. Does that make sense? The theatre of my dysfunctional past. Sounds <laughs> yeah. good, yeah. yeah. Sounds <laughs> excellent. Could be a book title. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's the next book, is it? I was going to say, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. yeah. Um,
2: and Jarvis, Good Pop, Bad Pop is just about to come out. Mm. Um, and I believe the idea for this was sparked by Clearing Out Your Loft. Is that right?
4: Yeah, it was. I mean, it's interesting to hear Baxter say that thing about being fraudulent, uh, which I I will report you to the police. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> but uh, but I I had a similar feeling. I mean, my my thing with the roots of my book were that I did a lyric book like about ten years ago, mm. and the woman who had, had bought the rights for that for Spain, um, she then left the publishing company, and started a literary agency of her own, and said, "Can I represent you?" And I said, yes, you can, Monica. Uh, you can represent me because I, I I liked her a lot. I got on with her well. But I said, I've got no intention of writing a book. i just got to tell you that at the very start of our relationship. But um, <laughs> but she just wouldn't take that seriously and kind of got me a deal a bit. Suddenly, you know, said, got me a really good book deal. And then I just had to write a book, you know, <laughs> just not to lose face, yeah. you know, and not to piss her off, but also... You know, I did always want to write a book. I guess everybody, lots of people what think, yeah, oh well, I've got a book in me. You know, and then it's like one of those things that kind of it's in the distance, like, you know, when I'm a grown up mature person, mm. I'm gonna write a book, I'm gonna start listening to classical music, mm. you know. I'm <laughs> gonna put me records in alphabetical order, you know, all these kind of <laughs> things that you think you will do. But I never thought I'd get round to it. Yeah. But I did. I was kind of forced into it that the pandemic similar to Baxter had some effect there made me think, well, if I'm not going to write it now, I'm never going to write it. May as well commit suicide. Um, <laughs> and, and and it's weird that it ended up, like you say, it ended up being about the contents of, of a loft in a house that I used to live in. Hmm. Because that was another thing that I'd been meaning to get round to forever. You know, I must tidy that up because I bet there's some interesting things in there. So I finally got round to it. and instead of doing the sensible thing of chucking all the stuff in a skip and then having lots of new storage space, I um, decided that I would look at every object I found up there, take a photograph of it, try and remember why it was there. And eventually they kind of assembled themselves into a kind of story.
2: Do you... Because I, th- I keep things and I keep stuff... Actually, in my
4: parents loved most, most of it. It's, it's the best way, It's the best way.
2: But there's some stuff up there I go back to and and I cannot throw it and I will not throw it. Was that was that the case for you? Were you coming back to things that you thought, oh, yeah, I, I remember a time when I thought oh, maybe I don't need this or whatever and you just can't let it go? It was go? a
4: mixture. It was a mixture because there were things like that. There were things that I'd carted down from Sheffield when I first came, moved to London in, like, 1988, mm. and I'd moved them from house to house, probably never looking at them, just in a box. Then there were the things that, like, say if my mum was coming to London to visit and the house was a real shit. Set. I would just gather stuff up and just throw it in the loft because, yeah, look, look, mom, look, I'm living really tightly. I've got it together. <laughs> so it was a mixture of you know, you know, these Proustian madeleines from the from your childhood, and also just shit. You know, mm. I mean, the wrapper of a madeleine. <laughs> What's a, a Proustian madeleine? A Proustian madeleine. Literary people have told me that that's like you know, apparently in Proust's masterpiece, uh, In Search of Lost Time. He he eats a Madeleine and and the taste of it and the smell of it takes him back to his childhood in a really vivid way, which is a thing. I do think the weird thing was... I'm going to shut up in a minute. I've not even had any coffee. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I I did find that the bits of shit actually kind of triggered stronger memories and things that maybe I thought, you know, oh, I'll put that in the loft like that'll be good for me in my old age or whatever. Mm. Uh, it was the shit that really did it for me.
2: And sort of like, you know, Wrigley's rapper as opposed mm. to, you know, like an award that you won mm.
3: in the 90s. Or
4: yeah, something. yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah.
3: I'm still um, thinking about priests.
4: Yeah. <laughs> t- Do you I want did, one? Decomp- I can order you one from from the <laughs> bakery like next door if you want. <laughs> but they
3: didn't decompose them. I'm, st- I'm sort of stuck on the wrong aspect of that. Um, anyway carry on.
4: I was just trying to be literary. Somebody <laughs> one said it to me. All right, it's been was, regurgitated It was basically here. trying to show off. Sorry,
3: i have got to use it next in my TV meeting. You've got a very important
2: meeting to go to, so you can drop it yeah. in there and see what it's see like what Prince their reaction
4: Medline. is. Have yeah, you got it wrong, from them?
2: <laughs> um, you, are you a are you a sort of know, collector's the wrong word, hoarders the wrong word? Have you got have you got a load of sort of old shit backstory
3: that you keep yeah I kind of tend to keep shit but I sort of destroy smother kill shit okay so it doesn't naturally survive and I don't have much storage so I do try and what do you mean smothering it I kind of break it and and over I molest stuff is that weird to say but and it it naturally breaks and it's no point in me keeping it there's not many there, there are kind of Art, Artifacts from my family who are all painters mm. that I've kept, it's a preserved. But beyond that, no, I just don't, I shove it all out, I get rid of it all constantly. Like there are there's a constant um, um, sort of shedding of stuff constantly. So I know the opposite actually. Mm. So
2: when I was thinking about your. Book before we recorded this. I think I wondered if you referred back to a diary or anything for for some of those earlier memories, or is it just you know from your head?
3: Yeah, I mean, I didn't try and be journalistic on purpose to not bore myself, really, because <laughs> I just found that process so tiring, and and also I didn't want to uh, do what I, I think that would become uh, another thing about a journalistic thing about Dad, because essentially dad's quite a big strong impactful character in my life and the, and a lot of stuff that's occurred I guess stems from his way of life mm. and the more I started to investigate that um, chronologically or accurately it sort of stained, became a kind of article about him again and I so I just I let the memory my, my sense of fantasy sort of take over and I didn't really um um I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't untruthful, but I was just sort of a bit just sort of let it the memory be what it wanted to be when it needed to be. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I just made it into my story. I claimed it. Yeah. Which but... it is, you know, it is and it is it is your story
2: and it's it's about you and your childhood and your mother and your dad's in there obviously. But it's it's also um you, you said oh, you didn't want it to be boring and I don't know if you meant The process for you or you know the reader on the page but it's absolutely it it, it's shocking in some places do you you think that that readers like me would will experience that or have you heard that you know people who've read it have sort of found it a bit oh right okay
3: yeah I mean I think I sort of I didn't know how I didn't have the skill range of a writer to sort of know how to philosophically soften it Hmm. you know what I mean so Uh I only could do raw data and I think it's probably, I reduced it back a bit because, you know, lives in lives are, are more boring, um, but they're also tougher. Maybe actually growing up was more, tougher than that book suggests. And there were more extreme things mm. and more boring. And there were nice passive moments where, you know, we ate porridge and, and things were normal. But um, I didn't know how to balance that in an excitable way. So I um I only I you know, this is the first time I really I never really went to school, so it's the first time I'd actually done any kind of extended form of writing that's not some pretentious lyric or sort of thing <laughs> that I throw off. It was quite easy really.
2: Did you enjoy the process though?
3: I did afterwards. I enjoyed the warmth and the smiles and the bravoing. You know what I mean? I really did, and which Jarvis is about to experience. I found that one of the most (laughs) rewarding, just especially coming creeping out of lockdown. I found that going to these obscure little literary places and stuff, I
4: really enjoyed that. I had Mm -hmm.
3: a a lot of fun.
2: And is Monica going to get a second book out of you now you've done this? uh, I
4: I don't know. We, We have to see how this one goes down, really. But you enjoyed it? I, I found that, I mean, we we spoke about it, didn't we? Because when when your book came out, there was like a kind of event at Rough Trade uh, East, and we we spoke about it and talking about what we thought about writing. It's not to actually sit down and write isn't really pleasurable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, in I mean, it's just because I tried loads of shortcuts at first. Like I I I, um, I hired a secretary, and I thought, oh, I'll just sit in a corner you know, looking out the window yeah. right. and uh, and just set, and just talk and just talk and she'll type it. And then, you know, like five days will be done, whatever. And then um, so she took it away and she sent it back, you know, all typed up. And I just thought, fuck, that is so, you know, you realise, first of all, you realise that your vocabulary is really limited. You know, you're just repeating the same phrases over and over again. Yeah. Fucking you know, hell, just
3: conversational you know I you think.
4: think you know it's, it's a really humbling experience yeah. Yeah. and then you realize that really putting words out through your fingers you know typing or writing <laughs> is a really different thing to talking mm. I yeah. mean we've all experienced that in a way in the way that people are so horrible to each other on emails and text you know it's like typing is like kind of evil in a way controlled yeah I don't know it's just different and and you can get better things. I mean, you. I think once I started actually typing the book, then it started to feel like it really was a book. Yeah. I, maybe I've kept tiny bits from these uh, ill-advised uh, secretarial <laughs> adventures. It was just like a fantasy, basically, that I was living out. Um, don't judge me. But um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so I tried things like that, and and then I just it was just a brutal. Th- fact of sit down turn your computer on make sure nobody's gonna bother you and interrupt Mm, you mm -hmm. and just sit there and do it yeah Yeah. and like then read it after cringe at some bits delete them yeah (laughs) some bit might make you laugh okay expand on that bit, and it just gradually like a stalactite starts to build itself
3: yeah, It's a sort of management of, um, you know, awareness of management because really it's being able to separate yourself from what's good and bad. And I think you'd start to learn a little bit what's shitty and what's not. Don't you, a yeah. And,
4: and I think, like you said, it's totally different to lyric writing. It's, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'm a writer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been writing for 40 years, whatever. It's, it's but you, deadline, haven't, you haven't been writing like book writing.
2: No. And is that also partly because with a book, it's like, we need it by this point, whereas if you
4: No, you're... I missed three deadlines, I think. Okay. No, How many I mean, deadlines did you make? It's
3: just... It's dense. It's dense, and the lyric writing's just silly. It's like having a... The difference between having a cold and having a bowler. Okay.
1: Really.
3: Right. Writing a book is like having a bowler, basically. But is, is that... In your experience
2: of lyric writing, is that because you're... I don't know, it's not as prescribed... You're not just... You're not sitting down at a desk to write... A song, an idea comes, you write a, I don't know, a little idea and then it evolves.
3: Well, I'm pretty off the cuff, really. I'm probably, I'm, I'm a little bit raw like that. I don't yeah. think I really write much down, really. And maybe that's a skill and also a lazy habit of mine, not to be, I can sort of go, and there's a sort of valve <laughs> that I can open. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, yes. you know, the it's sometimes um, in order, or like um, it doesn't mean much, you know, there's quite beat what i do mm. um but i don't know how to do anything else but i actually find the process quite relaxing and easy um but this is an entirely different way of framing your thought it's quite difficult to start organizing your thoughts memories yeah and your need to be and um, be understood yeah. but that's quite an interesting thing did you find that that you you started to understand yourself a little bit better
4: a bit, yeah. I mean, the thing that I found different was when you write a song, you know that there's going to be the music to kind of bolster it and you can just kind of mumble and people, as long as they can tell there's a human voice there somewhere, <laughs> they're not, you know, they're just often, but often that's the thing, in it, with songs, yeah. Yeah. it's the feel of it really and you know that something going on and maybe, you know, if you like the song, you'll take the trouble to try and decipher the lyrics. But, it's, but the lyrics don't have to stand completely on their own. They're always interacting with the music you're contributing to an atmosphere yeah yeah but with the book you have to do that all of it you know it's like so it is so yeah i I did i yeah i think you do get to know yourself because like when i first started off i was trying to put loads of jokes in i just i had this kind of mental picture of someone who was bored Mm. and who I had to try really hard to kind of keep their attention (laughs) oh please keep reading my book you know please like me and and and, yeah. I, and I just had to dial that down because it's like having a needy partner and it? it's like, yeah. fuck off, just leave yeah. me alone. It's yeah. like, <laughs> let me read it and make my own mind yeah. up. Stop trying to ingratiate yeah, yourself. Yeah. So stuff like that, you do, yeah, you, you learn stuff. It, it can't be raw
3: anecdote. It, you so, suddenly you realise that you've got to frame something that makes sense overall, but yeah. not for that moment where lyric's very much concentrated on a sort of phrasing and a silly, in my case, just a silly concept Mm.
2: and telling you know telling stories orally down the pub remember them you know is different to actually taking that story that might have got quite a nice reaction say if we told it here Mm. then writing that down on the page and you think no that's not it's just Not going to fly, or it just doesn't. It it lands quite dead. There is
4: no lager involved. (laughs) Yeah,
3: there's no tone. No
2: tone. I mean,
3: finding a tone or a voice within your writing, sort of loud and quiet and Mm. emotional, is very difficult. I find. Yeah, and and not being pretentious. And like you were
4: saying, like often with with songs, you you, you kind of get straight in with a punchline. You want someone to keep their interest. I think there's a bit of that in writing, but then if you you can't write like that because it's wearying. You know, if you're always giving people punchlines you're just going to knock them out after a while you know Mm. just like it puts you off so you you have to kind of make it so there's a some bits where it just trickles for a while yeah and then something will happen you know and and getting your head around that of of things having to take place over this extended period of time is yeah it's a a completely different way of writing Mm.
3: yeah Yeah, it's padding a lot of writing is padding yeah
4: Mm. Mm. and spelling yeah (laughs) But, I, that, but really basic 30. things were the things that did mean like... And just, like, I kept putting that. I kept using the word that. And I was thinking, well, you don't need that. So I had to put <laughs> loads and loads of that out. Yeah. And, and then the order of words. Really basic, like, building blocks yeah. of constructing a sentence. Because... And the thing that I don't know if you... The thing that unlocked it for me quite a lot was when I'd kind of got it to a certain stage. Then we started doing the editing. And because it was COVID... I had to do it by Zoom, so it was really complicated and trying to share stuff on the screen. Yeah, and I just wonderful. said, "You know what? I'll just read it. We'll do a page at a time, and we'll then we'll just talk about what it was like." And that really was the best thing I ever did because when you read something, then you know you can get halfway through a paragraph and just think, "This is bullshit." You know, mm. I don't even believe that. Yeah. Or or the bits you think, "Oh yeah, this mm. is good," and and that really helped a lot in in the kind of Making it kind of seem to have a voice in some yeah. way,
2: and a lot of authors I know do read their work out loud before they submit it for the yeah. second edits or something, and they always say, you know, in doing that, it does, it adds something, and you can tell almost straight away if if it's working. or What's it. flowing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I
3: found that I just didn't interest. I, did, I wasn't interested in the grammar. I was so par- I was so unable to. Con- you yeah. know, To to. I couldn't get that together. Yeah. And um, I had a very helpful panel of people that I just sort of... I mean, one one half of my management is very literary, and then that would go. So I was very helped. So I just didn't bother in the end, and I haven't learned anything. I haven't advanced no, anything
4: I, I bet you have. A little you bit. You might not realise. It's
3: like it's written on a prison wall. <laughs> my it's quite kind of jagged. So they've f- f-
4: received quite a feral manuscript. You know, it's quite... A, no, but well, that's a good point you make there, though, because that's uh, that's another thing that I've not been used to is somebody else helping with yeah. it and being involved in it. Like I had a similar thing. Well, a really fundamental thing actually, because when the book started, it had a different title. This book is a song, and the thing about the loft was just like a one small part of it. Mm. And then um, this woman called Anna Fletcher at Cape just said. That's the best bit. Get rid of the rest and just make it all about that. And you know, and it took me like a, a weekend to think, who the what the fuck? <laughs> How are you to tell me about my writing? And then suddenly I just thought, you know what? She's absolutely right. Yeah. And and I did. So I kind of had to start again then. Yeah. But it made it all Oh, these better, publishing people—they
2: know—they know what they're saying. They but do, it's fine. They You do. don't. I, I imagine you don't really. You know, it's not like you send a song off to someone and go, just check this for me. You think it will be? You know, is this lyric going to work for you? It's not the same, is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I loved both of these books. I really did. And I think they're absolutely fab, and I do hope you're going to write more. Um, and before we do the book off, where each of you is going to pitch as a book that you love that you think we should all read, um, I always like to ask my guests what they've been reading recently or anything they've picked up that they think you know should have a mention, uh, whether that be to champion an author new or old. Yeah. Um, have you found some time to read recently, Baxter? You got any I mean, recommendations? My,
3: my brain is a fickle instrument, depends on what's going on. And then some I have a period I, I have just come back, as I tell everybody from Costa Rica, where Clang. I became quite obsessed by surfing, which is um which which dot you know, I've been thinking and talking about that mostly, but yeah. not that I've but I but I I um I I really like this book by called Warlight, which is by Michael uh, did you read Ondaatje, that? Yeah. I never can say his surname. And he wrote the English uh, patient. He wrote the English right. patient, but it's all set where I live as well. And it's the, and there's a sort of parallel to my book where these kind of undefinably bohemian kids get um looked after by a bloke called the moth have you read this book mm, and, have. and the mo and they go up and down Putney smuggling greyhounds in the 1950s and I was just there and I, and it and it references places that I live opposite yeah and, you know because I'm a, a sort of river cockney a river mockney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I totally relate to him his, and I don't know I think the book the story is essentially flawed but the first half of it is just tremendous mm. and I totally relate to it and his writing is probably the best I, I mean he's up there it's stunning the isn't best, it yeah. yeah and so even even with the story flawed the first half of it is the best story I've ever written I've ever not I've written that was a bit weird wasn't it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> sort of weird I called claim up Michael it. And claim said. it claim <laughs> it Michael, um, the best story I've read, yeah. not written. And, um, and the second half isn't just sort of suffers from it being so good. You yeah. know, it's almost Dickens. It's almost, almost as good as anything. And this is another little book someone gave me the other day called A Way of Life. Like No, A Way of Life Like Any Other by a bloke called Darcy O'Brien um and this is a it's a fictional biography really and it's based on like the way he was brought up in Hollywood and his dad was a um like in John Wayne films he was a cowboy Oh wow really and and his dad really was a cowboy but he's sort of written a fictional version of growing up in Hollywood and it, it rem- also uh, everything narcissistically leads back to me <laughs> because I think someone gave me this because they must boo for these books because they must have had... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So everything is about me. <laughs> that sounds pretty really good though. As, as I up. said, as I just realised these books are about me, I put them away. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice
4: realisation then. Yeah, but I really love those too. No, but everybody... That's a, you know, when you read, you do look for that though, don't yeah. you? You look for something that chimes with you. Identify. That's what you're kind of after, yeah. So it just all come back to yeah. to yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. What about you? What have you been reading recently?
4: I've 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 been um, I was a bit slow getting into Carl Ove Nausgaard. I'm now on the third one, the one Boyhood Island. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was. Uh, I think I just told you about I it. Started didn't I started it. Yeah. I mean, whoa. It start's good though, don't yeah, you think? Yeah. I mean, first... Yeah. I
3: just find it quite. Yeah. I mean, I'm a sensitive. <laughs>
4: Yeah, but I thought, I don't know, um, I was a bit, it's like I read the first kind of 20 pages, I thought, wow, this is amazing, you know. Then he starts describing deciduous trees. And then I I realised there wasn't going to be like an end of a chapter. It's just like one fucking long paragraph for 600 pages. So I thought, fucking hell, this is going to be a bit of a thing. But but I've gone with it and, and it becomes a bit hypnotic. You know, you kind of you've got these bits where he'll describe frying some salmon for like three pages. You're thinking, it's not even a recipe. It's just like a normal thing. I'm just going, okay, I know what a fucking salmon is. I know what a frying pan is. I know what oil is. <laughs> fucking get on with the book now. And, and you know, you're you're ready to throw it away. And then he'll just, there'll be like a paragraph where there's this amazing insight of uh-huh. something. So, and somehow you have to have that padding in a way to for these bits to make sense. I don't know. So uh, that's, I mean, I'm enjoying kind of, well, enjoying might not be the right word, but I I, I respect it. Mm. You know, it's like, it's not, it's recognisable. It's about real life. I mean, it's just like, you know, if he was writing about this, our conversation, he could probably make it into a whole book. You know, we've just been talking for forty-five minutes, but he'd find a way of making it into a <laughs> maybe it, a three-volume. Is, it, is uh, it what
3: you call thing? auto for auto fiction, or what? is it like yeah. a, um, a thing that's sort of based? There's a thread of realness in it.
4: Yeah. And, um, no, I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's 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 I think that's what they call it in France, isn't it? They've, they've kind of had that tradition for a bit longer. But yeah. um, uh, anyway, there's in, and then. Have you read this woman Lucia Berlin? She's no longer alive.
2: No, I haven't. But but you're the second person to talk about Lucia Berlin.
4: All right. re- very recently. To I me. would really. I mean, this. No, I've not started this one yet. This is Evening in Paradise. But the one that someone gave me first was called A Manual for Cleaning Women. That's right. And they're quite they're quite autobiographical stories. But I think you would like it actually. That there's. Um, I couldn't bring the other book because Kim's reading it now. Right. I, I, that's my partner, you know, I couldn't nick her. But... No, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they're great. I mean, she's just had quite a crazy life. It was an alcoholic for a long time, uh, bringing the kids up, just living in quite strange circumstances. Where? Where in they... in America. Oh, OK, well, oh, she lived well, she lived in South America for a while and had quite a f- fancy life and then lived on the margins. I don't know, just Good writing, you know. Sometimes you get writing that um, kind of brings you back to life in a way. You know, somebody describes life in such a vivid way; yeah. it really makes you feel it. Like you can feel like the blood seems to run through your veins a bit mm. faster. And, yeah. and she's like that, so I think she's really good. And uh, and then that's another woman, right? That someone recommended during lockdown, Lydia Davis. And um, yeah. I kind of like short stuff. Do you like short stories? Yeah, I do, yeah. Because she, she, her stuff is uh, Lucia Berlin is is mainly sh- is short stories, and these Lydia Davis ones are. I mean, sometimes like really short, like yeah. half a page. Oh right. You know? Yeah, I mean super short. But there's one called "Break It Down." This one, um, that's that's an amazing story. Like um, it's like this it. guy. I'm not going to break no, but I just. <laughs> But there's one called Break It Down anyway, which I would say, if you, you know, if you want an entry point yeah. to her writing, Break It Down by Lydia Davis and with Lucia Berlin, there's a story called Tom Perdue, which brings us back to the Proustian Madeleine, maybe oh. that's where I got the idea from, <laughs> yeah. where she's working in a hospital and she sees this guy and he's got the same eyes as this guy she used to hang out with when she was young and suddenly she goes into this crazy remembrance of them. The shit that they they got up to when they were kids, and it's it's really good. Wow, yeah, yeah very
2: good. Fantastic. I love a short story before bed. I have mm. to say, that's you, know, you sometimes don't need the full chapter or to get back into a book or anything, but um, yep. little sh- a little short
3: story just to send me off. Can I just add to the short story thing? They're of not course. Short, actually. Look how big they are. <laughs> you ever, have you ever read these? The guy, the sort of offcuts of this guy Cormac McCarthy that no, wrote. The road and yeah. road, all the Cohen Brothers thing, you know, uh, I've, not re- I've not read those. These though. guys are all just things set on the Mexican American border. And mm. one's about a wolf going back to try and find his um where he wants to die. And it's just about him going from New Mexico into Mexico. That is excellent actually. Yeah.
2: Mm, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for all those recommendations for another because it's time for the book off where each of you is going to get three minutes uninterrupted if you want to use it to tell us about a book you love and you think we should all read the usual rules are that um whoever's traveled the furthest gets to choose whether they've whether they go first or second so i suppose Uh that is dependent on which side of london if indeed you've both come well, from... Well, we've both
4: lives. come from West London, but that's probably you, Baxter, because oh, yeah. you, you've come from Hammersmith and I've come from Shepherds Bush Markets. So. Right, so Baxter's just so I'm first, it. am it. Well, well,
2: well, no, you get to I, decide.
3: Oh, I'll, I'll just go, because mine's confusing. I don't know if this is a competition. This is not like a thing, is it? Because what oh. I've chosen is quite complicated. It's a cooperation. Exactly. It's a nice thing. It's a collab. Because I tried to write down... I, tried... I brought my big computer just because I tried to write down um what, uh, how much i understand about this book and i don't really understand it but i really enjoy it but okay. shall i just i'm just going to put this down well, You in. put that there yeah. Put my Madeleine over there. And jo- and Jarvis, you get um, to
2: choose um which instrument you get rung out at at the 3 minutes. So would you like the uh, school bell or do you want the bicycle horn? Yeah, the horn please. The horn for you. I so that's the, the bell for you Baxter. If you indeed are talking over the three-minute mark, I you don't have not, to use it all.
3: Yeah, um, I thought I was already. Can I not start? And, <laughs> and, and just, just Jesus, I'm a bit. Yeah, I'll move. Do. Let me move that, then ah, you can. I'm, I'm having a tender moment. <laughs> um, um, and just
2: before we start the timer, tell us the the name of the book that you're talking
3: about. Hard-boiled Wonderland and the End of the World. Fantastic. Over to you then. Um, the, Murakami, Ma- Murakami, whatever his name is. Um, I've not read lots of them. I've read. A couple and I guess this is sort of t- traditional for him to be very deadpan and totally bunkers and, <laughs> and 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 expect you to accept his version of how mad it all is and I like that because he doesn't fuck around you know what I mean and this ultimately does not fuck around and I found it ex- punishing because my sense of attention is really challenged with this book, and so for the first hundred pages, you're you're restructuring the way you think, and he reinvents a world very close to a world that exists. Considering this book is written in the mid '80s, just all its sort of parlance, the words he uses, the concepts are incredibly advanced. I think, but isn't this isn't the reason why I love this? And I don't know if I did love it, but I just found it very impactful or powerful. And I'm not getting to the point the point is it's um it's it's a a, a book set i guess in tokyo and a, and it's about um a, a, a the narrator of the book is what you call a Kaliutech, and um whose job is to process encrypted human data right so there's like some dude that that has a job that you accept within the context of the story and um he he gets hired by a kind of mysterious, um, scientist that lives in an underground, um, sewer underneath. Um, I, I'm actually quite lost already, but, I, <laughs> but this is what so well, I'm going to get to the point is the point is, is that he's hired by this, um, this, um, this scientist who's experimenting with how you stop sound. And, and, he encrypts data by um, delving into his subconscious. There's a process. And when each time that he he's encrypting data, he goes back into his subconscious and he goes to this town called the end of the world. Modern day Tokyo is known as the hard-boiled wonderland, and that's, which is never really referenced in the book, but you know because of the title. And this weird subconscious town is called the end of the world. And the end of the world, he he's a dream reader. And he um and he tries to I mean, I don't really understand this book <laughs> at all. I mean I'm just trying to explain that it's so dense and complex yeah. and so beautifully written and it it's, it drip feeds you this world that by sort of two hundred pages you're so immersed in. And 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 you and you sort of um and you're so thrown between the two worlds. By the by, by the time it finishes, you're sort of left, broken and 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 happy and sad. Very good. Really? I mean, I don't know if I explained that very I, well. Well, I'm I'm intrigued. To yeah. be honest
4: with you. Yeah. There was some love stuff. i am got to work there. out whether I'm emotionally stable enough to <laughs> put myself through that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll come back and talk about it in a moment, Baxter, so okay. if, if I may, but you can have a little breather now, because uh, I'm putting three minutes back on the clock for you, Jarvis. Just yeah. before we start, what uh, book are you putting forward?
4: I'm putting forward George Sanders' A Swim in a Pond in the Rain.
2: Fantastic. All right, three minutes on the clock then, over to
4: you. Well, the kind of subtitle of the, uh, of the book is In Which Four Russians Give a Masterclass on Writing reading and life and i suppose that's what i found interesting about this is that you're getting good value because uh, george sanders is a author he's been writing for ages but i only became aware of him i don't know a year ago maybe, maybe you know it, it's funny how you can have that can't you? you know like somebody's been doing something you think i'm a cultural person I, i'm plugged in i know what's going on uh, and Obviously, I don't, because <laughs> I was never aware of this guy's writing. Um, he writes fiction. He's also um, He also teaches at some college. I can't remember the name of the college. He teaches at some college in, in, in America. And so what you're getting with this book is you're getting an introduction to him of what he likes in writing. He's selected stories by... Um I'm allowed to look at which ones, aren't I? So I, I know that Chekhov's in there. Chekhov, Turgenev, Tolstoy, Gogol. There we go. <laughs> the big hitters. <laughs> Obviously, maybe reading Russian literature at the moment might not be as popular as it has been recently, but we sh- this we shouldn't let that put us off. Um so yeah, I mean, part of the reason I had read another book by by George Sanders called Lincoln in the Bardo that I really enjoyed, um, but part of it was, you know, again, it's like what we were talking about earlier: things that you feel that you should get round to, and and reading Russian literature is one thing that you think, yeah, I, I feel I should get round to it, but never seems that appealing. It's just like, mm, maybe I could watch a rerun of Dynasty instead, you know, something <laughs> a bit lighter. Because you know that, you know, the Russians, I think rightfully, have got that kind of reputation that they're not fucking around. It's just like, OK, you're a human being. I'm going to tell you exactly what hum, human life's like. I'm going to take it down to the core and there's going to be no way to wriggle your way out of it. Just look at yourself, you know, and, and not everybody's used to that. But what I was surprised by was um, the, at least the stories that he selected for this collection don't send you off into a dark midnight of the soul they but they do they are based in in the life you know it's it's a it's Russia so it's not a some of the details of of the life you don't completely recognize but the way that people act you recognize and mm. so you get that the pleasure of reading those stories then you get him I guess using some of the stuff that he uses in his classes when he's teaching, people to write you know how he takes those stories apart and then just adds in bits the thing I liked about it was it wasn't like a high-blown literary um, thing he, he, he brings in um, just like little stories from his own life you know normal things and, and makes it very accessible
5: <laughs> Very good.
1: oh fabulous
2: thank you both uh for those what a, what a selection um I'll come back and talk about George in a moment, Jarvis, if I may. Uh, just to come back to you, Baxter, uh, and this fabulously, obviously bonkers book
3: that you uh, did tell us about a bit. I don't think I read it, actually. I, <laughs> I, was trying to I had some notes, Honestly, I got I thought, nervous some the notes. No, I, thought, I loved it, because
2: what what you actually, you know, d- despite trying to tell us the plot, maybe, which is the hardest part, you said, you know, this it drip-feeds this world, it's, it completely immerses you, it's beautifully written, and I know that about Murakami, who is... A, fabulous writer I don't know this book but I am honestly so intrigued thanks to your pitch there to try and I've
3: read a few of the others and I was a bit like it's a bit predictable and I know you know students are into it and Mm. angular people and I thought fuck off (laughs) like me (laughs) Yeah, yeah fuck off and then all that and I thought when I was reading this I was fuck off it was just so and then I was Bing, and then I thought, this is the, he's so smart. You were in. I mean, he's yeah. so and he swims fifteen miles a day and runs backwards twenty. Yeah, yeah. You mean? And he's smart. He's smart. Yeah. And I'd like to kiss his neck. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> See if that opportunity
2: arises. Um, and with with your book, Jarvis, I don't. I know of George Saunders. Um, from the Booker Prize, um, he's got a great collection of short stories called The Tenth of December, which mm. you should absolutely check out if you like him and if you like short stories, it's fabulous. This book I didn't know, but I mean, I definitely need to get round to more Russian literature. You're right; it, you're actually right. And how many times do people go, "Oh, I must read War and Peace. I, I will read get War to and it." Peace. You read it.
3: Yeah. Oh, well, well so well done. I know the
2: story. <laughs> yeah. I watched the film or the TV adaptation. Yeah. Um but I think, yeah, he's he's a wonderful um writer, he's a wonderful human, uh, and and I imagine a great teacher. And so to get that sort of, as you put it, good value where you get these recommendations but you also get his sort of take on it sounds fab as well. Um so I thought both of these were absolutely brill. Um I'm gonna but I have to take one home, you see, that's the whole that's the whole point. I'm, I'm going to take George Saunders. Back now. I think I'm going to take George just for the fact that I am underread in Russian literature. However, this Murakami, which I do not know, I'm going to check out. So thank you. You're not allowed to read that now. Are you? I'm not.
3: <laughs> i have on another around book podcast now, they're more appreciative of my talents, and I've got a TV meeting. Have you got <laughs> a TV you, meeting? No, I haven't got a TV meeting. I haven't no, got I anything. Think so. No, oh. no.
2: I think th- that's why I had to give it to Jarvis. He had <laughs> yeah, not yeah. got a TV meeting either, so you know. Do you want to come to my? <laughs> Uh, Good Pop, Bad Pop by Jarvis Cooker is out now. It's published by Vintage and Chais Long by Baxter Jury is also out now. It's published by Corsair. What an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you both. Thank you for your time, your recommendations, and it's lovely to see you both. Brilliant. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>